Hello everybody and welcome back to Points to Defend. I don't know what episode we're on. I don't know at all. I don't think we really... It's not really a, you know, count the numbers in each season episode. Yeah, it's just when a slam comes around. And today we'll be talking about Roland Garros because after what felt like a very long two weeks in the end, I think the first week went really quickly and the second week kind of dragged a little bit. Yeah, same. But it's over and we've got one surprising champion and one that you could have seen from a mile away and yet it feels going well your champions are Rafa Nadal and Iga Sviantec but going into those finals I feel like it was a given Iga was going to win and Rafa everyone was a bit like will he so Djokovic had arguably a harder run to the final in the in the end Rafa had a harder run on paper I think but Djokovic struggled more Mm. in his matches Uh, well Djokovic had a bit of a struggle getting to the final with matches against Tsitsipas, Karena Booster and Hachanov. But Rafa looked comfortable in every game, in every set, in every match. Yes. And I think, I personally think, the most he was pushed this fortnight was by Yannick Sinner. Sinner and the final set against Schwartzman. But I actually would say Sinner more because Sinner started strong, whereas Schwartzman was already kind of out of it and then realised, oh, I can play loose now and mm. made a little resurgence just to get paid in tie break. And I love Yannick Sinner. I'm I'm very happy. We had last week. <laughs> I'm very happy at least got a very strong game against him. But yeah, I don't think anyone expected Rafa to win like that. No. A bagel in the first, 6-2 in the second. The best quality bagel you'll ever see. Do you know what I was like thinking... Like, it's not a normal bagel. It's like a bagel man level bagel. Like a bougie, bougie Brighton bagel man level bagel. Like, it was well, he high hit, quality. He hit something like three unforced errors in the uh, set. M- more than that. Yeah. I think it was up until just before the last couple of games of the second set, he'd hit three unforced errors all match, which was Simona Wimbledon vibes. I mean, he was... But, and there was a lot of stuff going around on Twitter about Djokovic playing badly. And I think given his incredibly high standard that he usually sets you could say he had a bad game he hit about 23 unforced errors in the first set which is uncharacteristic for Djokovic but you put that level against anyone else he would have won he was winning so in probably in straights I mean it's Rafa's 13th running Garros and we'll go on to the records and everything like that at the end but he looks as good now as he did the first the fifth the tenth yeah I mean, he's 34. There's, there's absolutely no sign he's of slowing 34. down. 34. If it's a life in Mallorca on a yacht that makes you that good at 34, then I'll, I'll do it. I mean, everyone, anyone will turn their <laughs> life. And quickly, going on to Sviantec, I mean, the moment she beat Halep, she instantly went to Bookie's favourite. Which I was like, you know, we've got Petra Kvitova there, we've got Sophia Kennan there. At that point, previous... I'm pretty sure we still had Alina. Yeah, we had Alina. Petra and Kennan, um, Grand Slam champions. Obviously, Kennan did make it to the final and lost. Um, Alina won had... the last clay tournament. She did. I didn't even think of that. She went into Strasbourg. The... She... Yeah, she went into French Open with the best form. And once Halep had been knocked out, was favourite. Should have been favourite. Wasn't Bookie's favourite, which the Bookies were right. Yeah, we were wrong. We'll, we'll take the L, but... Oh, we got yeah. we got a lot of L's to take, <laughs> and we'll go through them at the end it's quickly. It's just, do you know what I thought when I was watching it? Like, she is 19 years old. She absolutely flew through her first Grand Slam final. No nerves, anything. It's her first career title. Um, 
she had that moment in the second set when Kenan went off court for that medical timeout and someone in the crowd like cheered her name and she started clapping and then she got up and started practicing serving balls and I think she said after that that moment kind of reminded her like to have some fun with it reminded her like to stay in the moment and like just what a big deal it was and how nice it was and to just enjoy it and you could see that she was so unfazed if you compare it to let's say Sasha trying to serve out his first grand slam at the US Open a few weeks ago this man has won masters multiple masters you know he's been top three in the world he's won the need to ATP finals he's won literally everything apart Apart from a Grand Slam and I know Grand Slams for men are best of five and he's had a kind of mental blockage without getting past a semi-final for a very, but getting to a semi-final for a very long time. Compare 19 year old never won a career title outside the top 50 Iga Svantec to I think, top 10 Sasha Zverev. I think that helped. I think not having been in this situation before almost helped her. Yeah. Because you don't you don't know what it's going to be like so you don't have to like psych yourself out and you don't you don't get in your own head about everything you can just well, I guess playing, she doesn't... Just... And I think she would have been happy with oh, yeah. runners-up as oh, well. Yeah. Losing to Sophia Kennan, who, yeah, Grand Slam winner herself, I think she would have been happy with runner-up, but, I mean, yeah, she just closed it out in incredible style, didn't drop a set the whole tournament. Nor did Rafa. Well, I think I saw something that said it's the first time in the Open Era, ever, both... that it's the me- the men and the women winners didn't drop a set all tournament. I don't know if it was like first or second, but I think it was the first time it's ever happened in the open era. Well, two incredibly worthy winners. Uh, Another kind of, you know, we spoke about Sebastian Corda last week, Igor Sviontek, in a much more cool, calm and collected manner, less of a fangirl manner. Very big fan of Rafa Nadal. Who isn't? I know, but the way she is, is just, you know, in a... Um, trophy speech on the court she was saying how she's watched Rafa lift it so many times and when Rafa won and she tweeted something like am I even allowed to say this but congratulations I mean the amount of support that Rafa got because there's obviously a big one big person who came out to support him and yeah but we haven't just got the final to talk about we've got the entire of the second week so let's go with Probably the biggest match outside of the final, well, one of the big, one of the two biggest matches yeah, outside of the final on the men's week. side, Schwartzman versus Team. Now, this was always going to be a difficult match for Team, especially given the five set with um, Gaston the week or the few the, days before the round before, yeah, yeah, and so, Diego beating Rafa in Rome, and Diego having a comfortable run mm-hmm. to the quarters as well. So it was always going to be tough, but. I don't think anyone expected Schwartzman to play like he did. I mean, team took the first two sets. I think it was one all, and then team got the third, and should have got the fourth, but didn't. Something yeah, like it was... that. Team basically should have won in four. I think it was one of those where um, after like I think after team went two sets to one up, you were like actually. I think Diego's kind of gone. I expected Diego to play well, especially at the beginning, especially given his run before, his round before compared to teams. Yeah, he's fresher. His form in Rome. But I think once we went to that, once he won the fourth set. Yeah, so he won the fourth set, 7-6 and 7-5 in the tiebreak. Yeah. Um. So once he just won that fourth set and then it went to a fifth. I, I think you like, knew. I think everyone knew. Yeah. You, yeah. Well, it was such a close match. Like, it was 7-6. Everything was 7s, wasn't it? 7-6, 5-7, 7-6, 7-6, and then Schwartzman ran away with the final set. But, I mean... I feel like with hindsight, you're like, of course Schwartzman ran away with the fifth set. But at the time when you're watching it, you really didn't know, especially Mm. for how tight the match had been. At the time, it was so unexpected that Schwartzman, of the two of them, 
was the one that ran away with the final set. But now you're like, actually, yeah, because team won the US Open. He came straight here. He didn't play Rome. He had a really long round before. Like, he has nothing left in the tank, nothing left in his legs. But during the moment of the match, he was just going, going, and going, winning all these tight sets that went to 7-6 or 7-5. And then... And then kind of lost it, but yeah, it sort of fair enough. ran out of momentum, especially and especially after that U.S. title or U.S. Open title victory as well. You, he didn't have any time off. He literally just came into French, and I think, I think he sort of crashed a little bit yeah. with with everything that was going on. And it was, I'm pretty sure, comfortably apart from maybe his one at Gaston, although I still think that was a lot less. The com- comfortably the longest men's match in the tournament. It was five hours and eight minutes. Which is... There were lots of kind of, not records for the longest ever at Roland Garros, but I think they kind of, lots of matches this week made it into the top mm. five-ish. But I think, something. I'm pretty sure that was the longest. I mean, talking about long, not matches, but games, we won't talk about this match because I don't think it was that interesting in the end, but the 14-minute first game between Schwarzman <laughs> and Nadal was pretty insane. I saw someone, I think it was Christopher Clary from New York Times, tweet something that was like, judging by the fact that the first game has taken 14 minutes, even if Rafa was to win on a triple bagel, it would have taken something like four hours, 22-ish minutes off the top of my head, he said. Like That's over ridiculous. four hours. I mean, Rafa looked comfortable in that as well, didn't he? I mean, I think he had something to avenge for the Rome loss. Yeah, and also... Is Rafa at Roland Garros? Yes, which I have learned. Yeah, I told you. I told you. You will. You never ever bet against it. And you know, it's October. There's new balls. There was a closed roof, and we'll talk about that match properly and all the things later. It's cold. He lost in Rome. Windier. And he hadn't won a clay title in the lead off. Obviously, there was only one really clay title for him to win. Played. Yeah. Apart from that, exactly. And he's been very not depressed but he's been very kind of he he's has been aware right... he's been aware of the wider impact yeah. of the pandemic even after the match in his press conference yesterday he just has great perspective on okay we're very lucky to be here doing this but this isn't the be all and end all this isn't what's important right now we're just lucky that we get to play and what's going on in the world is really unfortunate and as much as he is enjoying this moment and has enjoyed playing all fortnight he has always just kept in mind that okay I'm enjoying this but it doesn't mean that there is a lot of sadness and negativity in the world right now yeah well another very good match from the semi-finals was Tsitsipas Djokovic now I don't think anyone expected Tsitsipas to perform like that at two sets and um match point in the third set down nobody saw that coming no no one saw Tsitsipas taking it to five but. That was great. And then, of course, he ran out of it in the fifth set. But I think, especially given what happened to him in the US Open, when he lost from 5-1 up in the fourth set to Chorich. I think that was... Play- I, I 100% think that was playing on his mind. But Match look, point down, I think, that's all he could think about. And he's like, I can't let this happen. Even though he didn't win the match in five, he mounted a good enough comeback that I think he's going to come away from this Djokovic semi-final match and think, I've actually given myself a lot of redemption for what happened to me in the US Open. I've almost reversed my fate with that as much as I can. Definitely. Considering it's Novak Djokovic as well. You know, if it was Chorich and he did that from match point down, he probably could have run away with the you, final you'd, set himself. Not that you'd but... expect it, but it's not as surprising as yeah. doing it against Novak. So I Novak. think it's huge and Sitsipas is very like you know he's 
really in his feelings all the time and I think that's something that he's come away from that match and probably got lots of positive quotes and he's got he's got a lot of support to... I think that match sort of boosted his support yeah a lot I'm I'm a big fan of him now after I I never I've never disliked Sitsipas but I kind of go on and off him in in a similar way I go on and off Sasha except Sasha sometimes does wrong things regarding the coronavirus pandemic that makes you actually be like okay questionable yeah Sitsipas is someone that I've never disliked but I go on and off him and depending on the match I do or don't support him and stuff like that but I think especially after that I'm in a real I really like Sitsipas phase right now yeah I mean he definitely held himself in high regard after that match and it'll be interesting to see how he pushes on going forward because I mean he's yet to make a Grand Slam final but he was so close. I know. And you have to, you know, I don't like doing that, oh, if this player did this, what would it have been? But there was a point, especially 6-love, six 6-2 six in that final yesterday, where I kept being like, I think Sitsabas would have put up a better fight against Rafa than Novak is right now. Yeah, I mean... But that was an unplayable Rafa. I'm about to say, that's not Djokovic's fault. No. That's no one is, I mean, not even 2017 Federer is playing that well. Or like, I don't know what year federal peak 2006 2006 or 17 we're too young but um okay well some other big talking points from the second week is alina sort of which we kind of touched on but i mean she had that amazing match against garcia yes where they just broke each other and just broke each other or mainly her garcia only held serve i think twice yeah twice and then i don't know what happened in the next round she just sort of petered out a little bit. Garcia was a very difficult opponent as well in terms of like, okay, her ranking is down compared to where it was about three years ago, but she's always kind of like the dark horse, the underdog, don't bet against her just because she's playing someone that's, you know, still in the top 10 when she's no longer in the top 10 because she can beat these big names, which we saw with, I think it was Elise Mertens. And then Alina just, that's one of those matches where I was like, I'm really worried about Alina not just because, you know, all the big names have gone out that day and because Alina can sometimes have these wobbles when she shouldn't. But also Garcia is like, if if a big name is going to go out to someone, it's going to be someone like Garcia. Or Sviantec. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she walked that match comfortably and then lost... Was it to Nadia, Nadia Podoros? Yeah, 6-2, 6-4. And going you, up. Weren't, you weren't watching. And I, I was texting. It. I was texting you every time one of them broke. And I think I, I text you. A lot. I text you instantly because Alina yes. broke the first game, and then it was just break after break after break in the opposite direction. It was like the exact. Yeah. She, she had a reverse of fortune from her um, from her Garcia match. Yeah, or, yeah, semi final. Uh, sorry, fourth round. Fourth round against <laughs> Garcia. Um, but, yeah, you text me instantly because I was at a spin and I was like, mm, it doesn't really. I didn't intentionally miss it, but I had priorities and they were not the tennis at that moment and I was like it's at least if I have to miss a match you know it's not Alina Garcia it's not Alina Sviantec it's Alina Podoroska a no match disrespect you to, to Nadia Podoroska but um if am I saying her name right yeah okay good um yeah and then you text me like Alina's break up and I was like spinning on this bike really happy all like yeah and then suddenly Alina lost the first set 6-2 yeah and I was on my spin bike, losing all my energy. It was an awful class as it was, and everything was just going wrong. I think she went. I think she went to break up in the second set as well. I think she point. did. I, all they did in that second set was break each other. Basically, I got home for the match point and, and watched her um, lose. Yeah, and watched Alina lose. So, well, the semi final that 
probably should have decided who was going to win the thing, but didn't. Was against the only two Grand Slam champions left in the draw. Also, one stat that we actually haven't... I don't know if we... I can't remember if we mentioned it last time. This Roland Garros on the women's side has been the least amount that seeded players have ever played against each other. I think it yes. was. End- I think it ended up being four or five times. It was four matches, including, including Kenin Kvitova. Um, and the the one before was eight. The lowest yeah. before was eight. Uh, I think it was like Wimbledon twenty sixteen. That just shows yeah. the unpredictability of the WTA. And I think you think we had first seed versus second seed in the final of the men's, mm-hmm. and you could have called that from a mile away. You had fourth seed versus unseeded. Yes. In the final of the women's. And the unseeded one. But then, also, I just feel like, are you even surprised that that was a WTA Grand Slam final? Not at all. I feel like Osaka Azarenka was less surprised. Azarenka was surprising, to be fair, because she hadn't had form for, like, a year before that. But, yeah, like, we had, let's say, was it 2018 Australian Open? We had a match between the world number one and two, Simona and Wozniacki. Something like that, to me, is way more surprising than a Sviontek-Kenin final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you almost for the WTA don't expect the big names to do well, which is weird. But I think it's weird if like, especially with me, and I think this is you now, I got into tennis through the ATP. Yeah. And then I started watching the WTA. And I think, and you know, the ATP, Serena obviously comes up a lot in like kind of national or just like coverage of the sport that you see when you're not actually invested in tennis and you see you, you know serena williams if you don't follow tennis yeah and you know you know federer nadal and Djokovic, and in this country especially murray if you don't follow tennis but i think yeah from the outside looking in especially before you get into wta tennis you see what's going on in the men's side and you're like how's that not happening in the women's side and then once you actually get to watch a bit of women's tennis you completely understand mm. why and again it's like we said with the young women compared to the young men, the way they approach the big stages, the big players, you know, playing a top 10, playing Grand Slam champions, playing in their own Grand Slam finals is so different from the way the men do. And it's just, you know, whether or not there's something to that, whether it's because the women are maturing quicker or something in their head, or it's just, I've done a blog post on this before. Um, it could genuinely be that because that is a thing. I, I, but... I personally think the difference is the women's side hasn't had as much dominance from three players as the, you think the big three have dominated tennis for it's, the last god knows how long would it be and a monopoly what's there's a monopoly in oligopoly oh, a, oligopoly's a, just serena yeah monopoly's the big three the big three and that is so intimidating to break into isn't it yeah because you, you think it took it took a default and two of them not playing yeah for someone to get to, a brand new grand slam champion and that is just it's so intimidating for a young player who will no doubt have a losing record against these three to step in yeah. and be the one to, they've to them break once. them. Well, yeah. But you think on the women's side, the unpredictability of everything means you're, you're likely not to face a former Grand Slam champion, a world number one. And so you don't have that pressure. You don't have that, like, that block at the top of the game yeah. that you need to break through. And I think that's why you've got so many, like, surprising women's Grand Slam champions compared to the men because these three have not been broken. Well, it's you can beat one of them, but then you have to beat the next two back-to-back you to think, win your title. You think Schwartzman would have had to beat Rafa and then he would have had to beat Djokovic. Yeah, or you think... Team team would have had to beat Rafa and mm-hmm. Djokovic. surpass in the last year's Australian Open, he beat Federer in the fourth round, got through his quarter. In the semi-final, he had Rafa and got pretty much rolled. And then the final, if he'd won that, he would have had Novak. You have to go through... Mm 
all three or at least two of them well, at team, some point. Team Australia this year had to beat Rafa and then he, yes. had, and then he came up against Djokovic. And then had you to just, beat Novak. You're, ga- you're almost guaranteed to face one of them in the final. Mm-hmm. And then because of the way the draw lies, you're guaranteed to face one of them in the set meets as well. <laughs> and you're just... And then maybe another one even a bit before that. And you just haven't... You really don't have a way of avoiding it unless you get a lucky draw. Well, I think with the women's game especially, and this is... I started watching the WTA pretty much, I think, when Serena won the 2017 Australian Open. And then obviously you only started watching tennis at all in the last year. So it didn't used to be like this at all. I remember the French Open 2017 was the first Grand Slam of a women's side that I watched from start to finish ever and it was the first grand slam we came into Serena wasn't there anymore because she was pregnant and nobody knew who was going to win nobody at all I think Simona was just the favourite because she'd done well in like Madrid, Rome and all that before but nobody knew who was going to win and it was Yelena Ostapenko and now it's such a given to us that we see all these young women like BB, like Naomi, like Iga and obviously like Penko back then but actually and she's been saying this herself recently Yelena Ostapenko was the first one who did that she kind of broke that barrier for the young women to look and think doesn't matter if I'm not seeded doesn't matter if I've never won a title before doesn't matter if I have to play you know five top 10 top 20 or five seeded players back to back to back to win this title I actually can, especially, mm. I think, when Serena isn't there. And, you know, Serena pulled out this week. And a lot of the times since Serena's come back from pregnancy, okay, she makes the final, but then she loses in the final. So you're almost the same way as you said, the young men are kind of playing, knowing they're guaranteed to have one of these people in the final. The girls, it's not as guaranteed they're going to have Serena in the final as it is you're going to have a big three in a men's Grand Slam final at the moment. But... They know, okay, I just need to get to that final. And then it may be Serena. And if it's Serena, you know, we've beaten her before. Our younger generation has done it. And yeah, I think Yelena Ostapenko really did start something. And she probably will never win a Grand Slam again. I would love to see her do it. But whether or not she does, I think she deserves a lot more credit than she gets for Mm. being the one to break down that barrier. And that's why you and I see the WTA the way we see it. Because we weren't there before Serena left to give birth to Olympia because we didn't see what it was like when it was Serena constantly at, at the, the top, top of the, of the game, game yeah. with, you know, the odd Sharapova win, the odd Muguruza win, the odd Kerber win, the odd Venus win. Yeah, and since then, since Ostapenko. Well, you think at the top of the game now you've got Halep, Barty, Osaka, And Barty's Kenin. still incredibly young. And she's still world number one. Yes, she is. She will be. Because Halep did not win. You're our number one. Well, let's quickly talk about... I mean, I want to talk about this, but there's also another talking point to go with it. The Sinner Nadal match. Most noticeably, the 1.30am finish. Mm -hmm. Because that was was strange. Because it's the latest the match has ever gone on at the French Open. And normally they don't... Well, because they don't have light. They didn't have lights until this year. But you just have to wonder why. That was... I did really... So, obviously, the Team Schwartzman match was happening, and there was a women's match after. Yeah, in between. Um, and then... I think it was... I think it was uh, Sviontek. Against Podoroska. Yeah. Yes. 
And I remember sat watching this Diego team match, and it was as it went longer and longer and it longer never into the ending. evening. I was like, they're going to do what they always do, and they're going to put the women on the smaller court. They're going to be misogynistic and sexist. And okay, cool, Rafa Nadal playing on Chatrier. People have bought Chatrier tickets. It's a bit unfair to go and plonk Rafa on Longlin. Yeah. But I also think with the way the tickets have worked this year, because they could only have a thousand people in at the time when we bought them, when twenty thousand people were going to go, you had to pay for your court. I think now you can sit wherever you want. It it's did just seem a thousand like people that. in the grounds. So, you know, if they if this crowd really wanted to, they could have gone to Longland and gone to see Rafa. And there was, I kept saying to you, there's a reason they've not moved this match. They've actually kept the order of play as it is because in any right mind, you would move at least one of the matches to Longland. So you didn't have a 2am finish. Yeah, and I know they would probably rather move the women over Rafa's match because it's Rafa, but they could have moved Rafa Sinner to while the um, to while team and Schwartzman were still on because, you know, it's a best of five match. Just start them playing right now and then let Shriantek and Podoroska go two or three sets once team and Schwartzman are done. So I was thinking, Rafa must have asked for this. Like, they must not have moved it because Rafa... Didn't well, want to. You say Rafa, they'd have ha- both had to have. Both agreed. have to ask, but you know what it's like, and okay, it's unfair. That's but a you, different it's, debate. It's, it's but Rafa at French Open, he's, he's got a bit. Goes. He's got a bit of pull, yeah. isn't he? So I just thought, of course, Rafa's like, if something, if this hasn't been changed, because of course it should be changed, because of it's getting late and cold and dark and all that, um, and we have no idea what time they'll finish. I thought. Rafa must be the one okay with that. But then he came off court and said it was really cold. It's no condition to be playing tennis in. You know, they stop for a changeover every so often. It's just, so it's he just wasn't a bizarre. Happy. No, it was, it was weird. And it was weird. I mean, that kind of showed in the first set with Sinner taking it to a tie break. And yeah, I mean, just fair. I, I love him. I think he's so good. I think, <laughs> I think he's got a very big future. And I think the way he sort of established himself as a as a big player is unlike anyone else you know never not playing a juniors event going straight to the itf and then working his way into um atp events through that but yeah he definitely gave rafa the biggest struggle i think he did in that first he was he was set and a half especially yeah he was returning the ball he was taking it very high which is what um soderling did when he beat him in 2009 yeah and the commentators were making a very big point of that all right, let's quickly talk a bit about the finals. I mean, I know we touched on it briefly at the beginning, but there are some big accolades that have come out of Rafa's win. Most notably... Many numbers. Many numbers. The biggest of which... Well, not the biggest. The biggest of which being 20. Oh, okay. I didn't know which one of the many you were going to pick. We're ending 2020. With 20. On 2020. And it's, it's very satisfying. Tying with Roger Federer for 20 Grand Slams. I honestly don't think a big enough of a deal has been made about this and also Rafa's not making a big deal about it which is very Rafa but when I remember when Rafa won 19 at the US Open against Medvedev last year straight after that everyone was talking about it like oh my god now it's 20 and 19 he's never been this close to Roger and it's inevitable he's going to win Roland Garros next year obviously we had no idea what was going to happen this year but we said it was inevitable he's going to win Roland Garros so then that's he's automatically going to have 20 it's going to be 2020 and people were making a bigger deal of it when it was 2019 at the end of 2019 um than they are right now yeah I mean 13 of which have come through the French Open. I think in terms of... People regard Federer as the greatest, don't they? I think if you ask someone who's the best tennis player of all time, they will say Federer. Despite the fact they have the same amount of slams, I think that is because the majority of rappers come at French. You think Federer is a 
I mean, I know he's got the most Wimbledons, but they're more spread out than Rafa's. But Rafa will overtake him, I think. I think think by the time they both retire, we both think Federer's maybe got one slam left in him. And it's either Australia or Wimbledon. Yeah. Rafa, you think he's on... He's on course for two a year at the moment. Yeah, he's only 34. One, he's averaging one to two a year. You think he'll probably win French next year, unless mm. anything happens. We yeah. don't know what's going to happen at the moment. US, he stands a very good chance of every year. You just the can't... US, he used to struggle at, like when we were younger and yeah. just not involved at all. Well, it used to be Federer's, didn't it? And then yes. he hasn't won it in years. And he hasn't won it since 2008. So yeah, I think, I think Rafa will finish one more. I still do think... Djokovic will finish on more than both of them. I think it'll just be more than Rafa if it is. But yeah, so not only has he got 20 career Grand Slams, it's his 13th Roland Garros, it's his 100th win. At Roland Garros. And it's 999th career win. How (laughs) satisfying would it have been if that was a thousand? I think that's what everyone wanted. If he won one more match in Rome... Oh, that's all he if needed. he beat Diego and lost to Dennis, oh. But yeah, um, <laughs> he went into the final having played thirteen hours and thirteen minutes before that match. So it's it was it was meant, meant to, to be. be. Um, it's Matt. I remember. I remember La Decima so well. <laughs> Three years ago, we were taking exams together before we even knew each other existed. Yeah. I just, I don't know, I remember it so significantly. It was the first time I actually watched Rafa win Roland Garros because of when I started watching tennis. What first time to watch was La Decima. And we were like, oh my God, we're never going to see this again, which we won't. But now we're on 13 and we're like, yeah, we're probably going to be at 15 by the time he retires. Yeah, most likely. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, there is such a strong argument for him being the greatest at the moment. And no one knows how many years people have got left because... Especially now no one knows because... I mean, you think people thought Federer was going to retire in 2016. People I mean, were asking him in 2008, I think, if the 2008 Olympics would be his last. I mean... That's bad. I think you just kind of got to enjoy it while you can with these three. Yeah. And, I mean, let's quickly, to end it, address our predictions. Okay. <laughs> right at the beginning, before the tournament had even started, I had Djokovic and Halep and... Kenin. You said Kenin before Rome. Yes. So that you didn't go bad there. And actually, just one thing quickly about the women's final and Kenin in that final, because I'm sorry if it feels like we haven't spoken enough about the women. Trust me, I know. Um, People were kind of thinking that medical timeout was tactical. I don't think it was. (laughs) I genuinely think she was quite injured. I think Shrontek probably would have won in the manner she did regardless, maybe a little bit closer of a second set. And full credit to Shrontek, but... Sophia Kennan did amazing. Look at the matches she had. Look at the people she beat. You know, she's had moments like the Danielle Collins match where she shouldn't have dropped the set that she did, but she quickly rectified that with a bagel. Um, the way she beat Petra Kvitova was incredibly impressive. So Kennan wasn't a bad person to go for at all. And I don't think the result would have been different if Kennan hadn't been injured at that final. It just would have been a bit closer. So you did well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the Djokovic one was purely from just form going into it. Which, fair enough. But yeah, never get... Never, don't bet against never Rafa bet Roland against Garros. Rafa and I always say the same about don't bet against Serena for a Grand Slam either. I know it hasn't come to fruition yet, but when it does, you'll understand why this is, it's the exact same thing as you should never yeah. bet against Rafa Roland Garros. And then our second round of predictions, you had Alina. Oh. And I had Kenan. She 
I believe, I still believe Alina can win a Grand Slam. And I think she will probably win one in her whole mm. career, if we're guessing now for the rest of the time. And I think it will be a French. Two at a stretch, but I think one. I think she'll definitely have one. But nothing, I don't think she's ever going to get a better kind of set up for her to get there than she did in this second week mm. because she didn't really have to face anyone to have that title. And yeah, she lost to one of the lowest ranked people left in the draw. And it's, yeah, it's disappointing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got one prediction right from essentially six. Rafa. Yeah. I got it right. Yes. So we might be taking a step back <laughs> on predicting. Do you know what prediction I want to quickly do before we end? Is it St. Petersburg? No. Okay. Because we touched on this quickly. I know exactly my numbers. I don't have a dead set number. I have a little scale. What do you think the big three and Serena will end on? Now we're kind of talking about them catching each other up right. and Roger. I, I hate. To, I hate to break your heart. I think Serena will finish on twenty three. I do. I think. I don't think she'll win another. Men are trash. <laughs> I think Roger, for being realistic, I think will finish on twenty. I don't think he's winning another Wimbledon. I think Djokovic... How many Djokovic on 18? 17. 17. Everyone keeps making that slip up because this and the US was yeah. supposed to be 18. In your head, you just think he already has it. I think Djokovic will finish on 24. Mm-hmm. And I think Rafa 23. I think Federer will definitely win one, one more at an absolute stretch too. I think Federer will end on about 21-22. I think Serena will end on 24 or 25. You think two more? Serena? Yeah. She will, like, I think one or two, nothing more than that. I think okay. Serena's going to end on 24 or 25 because you think once Serena gets 24, everyone's going to be like, hey, you eagle Margaret Court. Now you need to beat her, even though Margaret Court's Grand Slams mean nothing. But, um, yeah. Rafa, I think... It's 34. 22, 23, 24. That's and such a vague number. 22 to 24, I think, Rafa. And That's like saying Novak, I think Rafa 20 to 30. Novak, I think... 23 to 25. Yeah, the most. I think Novak and Serena will probably be together and Rafa maybe just could, if they're all on, let's say, 24, Rafa could end on 24. I also, I think I think Serena and Djokovic will finish on the most ever and I don't think it'll ever be beaten. Oh, no. I mean... This will be it. It could be beaten in like 100 years, but we're going to be dead and no one's going to listen to us. So but. I think I think as long as we're alive, <laughs> I think as long as we're alive, in our life, Serena Williams and Novak Djokovic will have the Seri- most slams. Yeah, I think Serena and Novak. I think they actually might be on it together. I think they'll both. Sit and they're there. best friends, so that's a nice. Well, they're friends. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, Saint Petersburg this week, isn't it? And Cologne. So I guess we'll talk about that when it's over. Yes. But I mean, Saint Petersburg. You've got the likes of Raonic, Shapovalov, Medvedev. Vavrinka's playing Dan Evans today. Mm. Cologne. You've got Murray. Yes, Sasha. The rest. So pretty, pretty evenly split. Um, the women. They've added um, Lins. Austria. Yeah, yeah, finally. So at least we have two women's events before the end of the year. But at least we'll have Ostrava and Linz. Kennan's and pulled everyone, out of Ostrava. I was about to say, everyone's going to be playing them because of the final two. Simona's not playing Ostrava, though. She may as well take a wild card because Kennan's gone now. Yeah, if she wants to win another title before the end of the year. Mm. But yeah, we'll come back to you at the end of Cologne. St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg, all of them. <laughs> and just talk about what's happened then. Yeah. <laughs>